Hi guys, and welcome back to the Redcoat History Podcast with me, Christian Parkinson. Today we're taking a short break from my coverage of the Peninsular War and turning our attention instead to Northern India. I've always been fascinated by Britain's military campaigns in the subcontinent, and the first Anglo-Sikh war is absolutely gripping stuff. Huge battles, extreme bravery on both sides, and terrible treachery that eventually helped to decide the outcome of the conflict. It was a war that Britain wasn't certain to win against a Sikh army that was well-trained and excellently equipped. Today I'm joined by writer and historian Amapal Sidhu Singh, who has written books on both the first and the second Anglo-Sikh War. In this episode, we're discussing the rise of the Sikh Empire and the road to war. In two weeks' time, I'll post the second part of the interview where we take a look at the key battles. If you enjoy these episodes, then please let me know. My email is redcoathistory at gmail.com. You can also tweet me on Twitter. I'm at redcoathistory, all one word. Okay, so without further ado, let's find out all about the rise of the Sikhs. was actually founded by Guru Nanak around about 1500 AD and he was born in the Punjab and that's where you find you know most of the Sikhs at the moment although you know you'll find Sikhs everywhere all across India. If anyone knows anything about sort of Indian history they'll know that that was the period where the Mughal Empire effectively you know sort of started if you like. The sort of peaks of the Mughal Empire was between 1500 to 1700. So that was that was almost the time when you know Sikhism was developing. Around about 1700, you know, 1707, you had one of the last great Mughal emperors, which was uh, Aurangzeb, who took the throne. After he died, uh, the Mughal Empire began to decline, and that's when the Sikhs found that they could actually um, you know achieve independence, if you like. So that period from say, around about 1707 up to about 1750, 1760 was, you know, a period of flux where, you know, the Sikhs were beginning to to sort of come out and uh, uh, effectively, you know, eject the, the Mughals and then the Afghans who had also actually taken over the Punjab at this time as well. So that's that's a sort of hip, sort of early history of the um, the Sikhs. So what, what year, yeah. who was Ranjit Singh and when, when was he born and who was he and what did he achieve? Well, Ranjit Singh was effectively the uh, the founder of the Sikh Empire. The Sikhs had effectively, you know, almost taken over the Punjab at this stage, but they were very disunited. You know, you had sort of uh, little sort of um, sort of kingdoms here and there. There were in fact twelve uh, what they called missiles uh, or uh, principalities, if you like. You know, so the whole of Punjab was effectively split up into little little sections. Uh, Ranjit Singh was born in 1780. He was um, he was a leader of one of the biggest of these principalities. His father died quite early on, 1792. Um, so at the age of 12, he effectively became a chief of this small sort of principality, if you like. So, you know, as you can imagine, it's pretty difficult for a 12-year-old to take over, you know, a place that's sort of heavily in flux, if you like. You had these little, um, you know, Sikh kingdoms all sort of fighting each other and, uh, uh, trying to take over each other. So obviously difficult for a 12-year-old, but he had that sort of military genius, you know, inside him. In fact, he used to ride into battle with his um, with his uh, father, you know, at that age, you know, 11 or 12. So, you know, that sort of uh, 
um, sort of warrior spirit was actually sort of infused into him at quite an early age. So, you know, despite his youth, he um, he actually used to lead his army. In uh, 1797, um, at the age of 17, he uh, defeated an Afghan army, which, um, which had sort of invaded from uh, Afghanistan. Uh, he defeated another army the next year at the age of 18. And uh, at the very young age of 21, in 1801, he was actually declared Maharaj of the Punjab. So, you know, by that age, he'd actually effectively consolidated his hold over pretty much sort of almost half of the Punjab. From that period, uh, from 1801 to 1839, which was when he died, he basically expanded it, you know, northeast, west and south, till he managed to get control of the whole of Punjab, the whole of um, Kashmir, even had armies sort of advancing into what is now Chinese territory in Ladakh and, and that sort of area. Um, so the other side of the Himalayas, if you like. The only area that he couldn't expand into was southwards. And that was because the British had effectively, you know, uh, by that time taken control and, and sort of consolidated their power over the whole of India at that time. And then so during his lifetime, did the Sikh Empire and the British have any sort of conflict at all? I mean, you know, uh, whether that be political or economic, or was it a very friendly relationship? It was actually quite a friendly relationship. The, the British actually quite liked him. Uh, you know, he was, uh, he was quite popular with all the, uh, you know, the governor generals who used to visit, uh, you know, Punjab and uh, uh, commanders in chiefs and uh, you name it. You know, anyone who went there was quite sort of uh, impressed with the with um, uh, Ranjit Singh. I think they were quite impressed with his sort of uh, ability to, 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 to effectively, um, uh, you know, unify the Punjab, you know, um, you know, by that age, you know, by the age of 21. You know, there's a sort of general feeling um, that, you know, if the British hadn't sort of taken hold of India, uh, you know, by that stage, we're talking about 1803, when the British had effectively you know, conquered all the way from Bengal, all the way right up to, to Sindh as well. That, you know, if the British hadn't been there, he would have effectively, you know, just marched his armies all the way down south and, you know, to east and effectively made himself, you know, Maharaja of the whole whole country. But it wasn't just that. They, they, they um, you know, he was a great, he was a great sport. You know, um, he loved drinking. Uh, in fact, that's what, you know, did him in in the end. You know, he, uh, at the age of 59, you know, he used to, have these drinks that you know nobody else could handle effectively. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, enjoy, he enjoyed himself. Um, you know, he was a great conversationalist. You know, anyone who came to him used to be uh, queried endlessly. You know, all the um, uh, the British military men who used to sort of uh, visit the Punjab um, used to be um, inundated with questions from him about uh, you know military developments in the uh, in Europe and. Uh, um, military tactics and stuff like that. So he picked up a huge amount from, from the British themselves. Sure. So I understand Ranjit Singh was kind of the founder of, of what we think of now as the Sikh army or the Khalsa. Is that right? And can you give us some uh, information about the Khalsa and how strong it was and, and how professional it was? Yeah, well, when uh, Ranjit Singh took over, um, the, the Sikh army was essentially a almost purely cavalry force. And he turned that in from a purely cavalry force into effectively, you know, 
a sort of almost a European uh, type uh, army. So uh, the bulk of it became uh, infantry, and and there was a huge uh, improvement in in the artillery section as well. So you know before you had Ranjit Singh, it was almost a, a sort of a, um, a sort of Mongol type army. You know, absolutely cavalry <laughs> related. Um, but uh, yeah, it turned into effectively, you know, a European type army. They used to have uh, European uniforms. Um, you know, they even used to fly the uh, the French tricolor. Um, you know, they had a lot of uh, uh, European generals who um, decided to, you know, join the the Sikh army. You know, were, for them it was uh, quite an opportunity to um, a train uh, the Sikh army and b to, to to make you know quite substantial bits of money because uh, you know it was quite a generous sort of. Uh, patron if you like and um, um, so you know over that period from about 1822 I think it was when the first European generals joined him to 1839 you know you had quite a you know a strong clique probably about 50 or 60 um, European generals you know of all sort of calibers including some Americans as well actually um, joining him to um, both train and fight with the Sikh army as well. Ranjit Singh died in 1839, and from 1839 to 1845, you had that short sort of six-year period during which, you know, all this sort of anarchical period had sort of uh, uh, developed. After he died, his, uh, his son took over, um, but his son wasn't really of that same calibre at all. Uh, As is so often the case in history, the sons of great men can rarely live up to their fathers. That's right. Yeah. Um, in fact, he was uh, a lot of people say that he was sort of mentally deficient, if you like, you know, um, but his son, in other words, Ranjit's grandson was in the same mold as Ranjit Singh. And, you know, he had that sort of military instinct, you know, the powers to organize the state. And um, so, you know, even though his son wasn't really in it, the grandson uh, was almost sort of the king, if you like, you know, um, at that time. Unfortunately, he died. You know, it was either an accident or, you know, a lot of people suspect somebody just bumped him off. And the reason that they may have bumped him off was, you know, fact, the fact that uh, Ranjit Singh had other sons as well. And uh, so obviously they were sort of interested in, you know, in the throne themselves. Uh, so there could have been this sort of, you know, this thing going on. But So it was real Game of Thrones stuff after Ranjit's death, was it? Like a lot of people vying for power. That's right. Yes, there was. Um, one of his um, weaknesses, if you like, Ranjit Singh's weaknesses, was that uh, he um, he was a great military guy, but he less so on the administrative side, you know. So uh, as soon as he died, there just wasn't that glue, you know. I don't think the, the empire had uh, the time to sort of settle down and become established, if you like. You know, you always get this period where, uh, you know, sort of great men disappear, you know, Alexander the Great or something, you know. Um, and after they go, nobody can fill their shoes and the whole thing just crumbles into pieces. And that that's the case with the, the, Sikh, the Sikh Empire as well. So his grandson died, Nornihal Singh. Um, another son called Shir Singh, he didn't have the, the talent as well. And uh, he was a bit of a guy who just wants to, you know, have a good time, you know, and he, he sort of let things go effectively. 
and uh, very quickly uh, the the Sikh the Sikh army began to you know effectively become the, the power in the country, and um, they start giving out the orders effectively. They had what was called committees, called uh, panchets, and these were committees made up of, you know, ordinary soldiers who just wouldn't do, you know, what their officers were telling them, you know, their commanders. And very quickly, you know, all the discipline was, you know, that, that, that Ranjit Singh had sort of fused into the army was sort of gradually seeping away. So, you know, the, the army effectively became, you know, the sort of Praetorian Guard, if you like. I don't know if, you know, you're into Roman history, but, you know, they had the, the emperor's bodyguard. It was, you know, the, uh, these bodyguards were effectively, um, you know, unseating and seating other people on the, on the throne. So that's what it became like in, in, in the Punjab as well. So the main danger for the state um, came from the army rather than from the British, if you like, at that period. You had the British across the border who were obviously watching this. You know, they were watching this sort of descent into anarchy, if you like. And um, so the British were watching, you know, uh, across the, the Satellite River, which was the which was the border between the, the two states. And, uh, you know, obviously they thought, you know, we've got a chance here. They were never really that interested in taking the, the Punjab um, in early years, simply because, you know, Ranjit Singh was, you know, such a good friend. And also, you know, because the Sikh army was so strong, um, you know, it, it just wasn't worth taking the risk, you know. Um, the other reason was that, um, you know, Ranjit Singh was effectively, you know, guarding, um, you know, the, the entire border with Afghanistan. Yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a, a classic buffer state, wasn't it, between the British and the Afghans, at least to keep the Afghans at bay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the governor generals um, knew that they would have to put substantial forces, uh, you know, by this time, the British had taken Sindh province as well. So if they took over the Punjab, they would have to man, you know, all the frontier right from Kashmir, north of Kashmir, you know, right up to Sindh province. And that would be heavily draining, you know, financially. There wasn't really any great desire to, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, try their luck and, you know, uh, invading Punjab. But that changed when, you know, after Ranjit Singh died, you had this anarchy going on. Uh, and in fact, you had a lot of these characters at Lahore, which is the, you know, the, the capital of um, the, the Sikh Empire, actually approaching the British, asking them, you know, if you, you know, if I give you some, you know, so much cash, um, so much of this, so much of that, can you help me, you know, on the throne? So, you know, the, the, the cracks were already there, you know, and they were already sort of developing this um, um, this idea of actually stepping in, even at, even at that point. And then how did that then develop to full-blown war? What was the sort of catalyst? You know, we've got this, this sort of craziness happening inside the court in, in Lahore. How did that then overflow out and cause, cause full-scale war? Okay, well, you had um, two chaps coming into power in, uh, in Lahore. One was Lal Singh. He was the prime minister of the state. Um, and there was another guy called Tej Singh, who was the, the commander of the Sikh army. And both these guys decided that there's no real uh, way to, to actually bring the, bring the empire back to, you know, sort of an even keel, if you like. You know, the, the, you know, the things had gone beyond that. You know, the, these army committees weren't sort of uh, listening. Um, you know, anyone who uh, 
trying to uh, you know cut their salary or uh, you know sort things out was um, you know effectively gotten rid of. So basically, uh, the Khalsa was a big union. Well, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these uh, committees, uh, they call it a Republican army, and uh, that's what it was. Um, the committees used to listen to the grassroots soldiers and, um, you know, form their policy from there. So, you know, the the, the officers and the, the commanders, the generals didn't have anything, uh, didn't have any control anymore. So that so, was that was the reason then that Dej Singh um, and Lal, Lal Singh, ne? were yeah. th that was one of the reasons they kind of wanted to weaken the Khalsa, which is why they they were kind of keen for the British to come in and do the job for them. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, um, their idea was to pitch the Sikh army against the British. Now, you know, if the British, if, if the Sikh army won, that's all good as well. You know, uh, they get the glory of, you know, uh, you know, destroying the, uh, you know, the uh, East India Company's hold on, on, on the country. So that was good as well. But if the Sikh army lost, again, that's good as well, because it cuts the Sikh army uh, power right away. And, uh, um, you know, what they were hoping for was that the, the company would actually take over the Punjab. They'll keep their jobs. Um, you know, they effectively become, uh, you know, almost a client state of, of, of the company. And uh, but the you know the Sikh army has been destroyed, so you know they thought of it as a win-win situation. And then what was that final catalyst then that that triggered the British to uh, well actually how how did because it was actually the Sikhs who crossed the Sutlej first, wasn't it? I'm a, I'm a little bit hazy uh, on the details. I've just read your book, but I can't remember exactly how the war kind of got going. Can you just give us that sort of overview of how it finally came to a head? Yes, um, it was actually the British that um, sort of did a, a few aggressive moves, if you like, um, uh, to sort of trigger things off. Um, the um, the British agent in uh, Ferozpur, which is the advanced British base, for, you know, it's very close to uh, the Punjab in the north there. He decided to annex some of the Sikh territory um, south of the river. Uh, which uh, which belonged to Lahore. Um, That's not like the British to do that. <laughs> well, I I think it was part of this move to sort of trigger a war, actually. Um, so you know, and there was a there was a few other moves as well. This idea of attacking the Punjab had sort of developed quite fully by this stage, um, and uh, the Governor General actually ordered um, some uh, some boats from Bombay. Um, right up to, you know, the Sutlej River. Um, and these boats were sort of armoured boats, uh, which, uh, you know, to form a bridge, effectively. Um, so, you know, whenever they wanted to attack the Punjab, they had that bridge there ready so that the army could pass over. And, um, you know, there was a couple of other quite aggressive um, things that were done uh, by this agent who was called Broadfoot. Um, he's, uh, he's quite sort of infamous in, in sort of Anglo-Sikh history. Um, you know, he fired on a few uh, um, sort of Sikh parties that were, um, you know, crossing over to um, sort of manage Sikh affairs there as well. Uh, so that all led to, you know, uh, uh, that became a, an excuse, if you like, for Lal Singh and Tej Singh to say, look, you know, we've got to do something about this. And, uh, you know, let's just push the, uh, the Sikh army over the border. It really is an amazing piece of history, isn't it? 
If you want a light-hearted read that covers much of this period, then I highly recommend the book Flashman and the Mountain of Light by George MacDonald Fraser. It's a work of fiction, of course, but it's closely based on the real facts and the real characters and really brings the whole thing to life. Anyway, in the meantime, make sure to subscribe and also to sign up for my newsletter over at redcoathistory.com slash subscribe as you don't want to miss the final instalment of this interview, which I'm releasing in two weeks' time, when we examine the key battles of Mudki, Feroz Shah and Sobrawan. Until then, Satriakal! <laughs>